Welcome to Box to Box Football. Yes, everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Box to Box Football, or as it's now being renamed for at least the last episode in this episode, the one where JJ and Stu just take over. That's right, because we are going to put out a you know, missing in action on all three, Kyle Franco, Sean Miller, and Mike Samsel. If you hear from them, just let us know. That'd be great. Um, hey, Stu Kovacs, I'm JJ Duke. Stu, um, Derby weekend on multiple fronts. Yes. But we had news that happened well a little earlier before recording. So we're recording on Monday, October the 30th. Happy Halloween to everybody that observed, if you're listening to it when it comes out on Halloween. But the Ballon d'Or uh, was awarded on Monday. And we learn that Lionel Messi has once again won the trophy for now the eighth time in his illustrious career. Aitana Bonmati won the women's award. We also had other awards that were given out. The Copa Trophy to Jude Bellingham. Get to him in a moment. For uh, the best under-21 player in the world, uh, Emmy Martinez won the Yashin Trophy or the Yashine Trophy given to the best goalkeeper of the season. And also Erling Holland, we'll also get to him in a second, won the uh, Gerd Muller trophy for the highest scoring player in the world. But if you go to Stu Kovacs' Twitter or X <laughs> account, he had some things to say, Stu. Yes. So, look, I understand all the great things that Lionel Messi has done. The past calendar year, his whole career, I understand all of that. I, I think Erling Holland got screwed. I'll, I'll be blatantly honest. I think he should have won the award. Um, the What he did in the Premier League, 36 goals in 35 games, winning the Golden Boot, 52 goals in all competitions, You know, broke the top flight record for goals in a season, in a Golden Boot season. The And, and you know, what Alan Shear and Andrew Cole did, they did it in 42-game seasons. Eight assists, the Man City treble, obviously the most important part of that treble being that elusive Champions League title. Look, I, I, he just had such an amazing season. And again, if City didn't, if City got knocked out of the Champions League and the, if everything else was the same with the stats and all that, and they got knocked out in the semifinals or the quarterfinals, then, then I understand it more. But for the historic season that Holland had in his first year coming over uh, from the Bundesliga to Man City to pretty much put them over the top, get the monkey off the back, get Pep Guardiola in the Man City squad there, elusive Champions League title. I, I thought it was his his award, and I get the sentimentality. I get what Messi did in the World Cup. We can't forget that. I know in a World Cup year that kind of changes how uh, the the Ballon d'Or gets looked at, but. But man, Holland was just so incredible last year. And I'm sure he's going to get a Ballon d'Or or two or three in his future. This is Messi's last chance of getting another one, number eight for him. But I just think it should have been Holland. That's just that's just the way I look at it. I, I was, you know, and I knew it was coming. Look, we all knew Messi was going to win this award. This wasn't like some outlandish surprise, you know, last second surprise. But yeah, I, I just thought Holland was was the right guy for this award. Yeah, I'd I was in between a few things first off. Um as you and I kind of messaged uh privately saying that like if this wasn't a World Cup year, would things change? I'd also even throw in if France 
had won the competition? Would Mbappe be over? Because, you know, you kind of have to look at it. Mbappe then would be back-to-back World Cup champions. He's won nearly just about everything that you could possibly win. Um, And I also feel, too, as well, that, yeah, the sentiment aside, always whenever there's a major competition, let's also face it, really the quote-unquote major competitions is either the World Cup or the Euros because the people that voting on this, and this is only my personal opinion, nothing else, really doesn't matter to the people that vote. They only just focus on those two things, um, at least during the quote-unquote major year. So if this is next year, if Holland didn't win, that'd be an absolute crime. Um, But yeah, as you said, you always kind of saw this one coming. Look, it's... There was almost kind of like the same phase on the women's side when Marta kept winning the World Player of the Year. And it's more of the fact because voters just didn't know who to choose elsewhere. It's not to say that she didn't have great nor bad years during that stretch. Messi, he could have had an, a, a so-so year this year. If Argentina won the World Cup, then he was going to win the trophy. It, it's just set in stone. That's the way that these things are, sadly. I wish that more things were done on merit. I mean, you even look at kind of a little bit through this list here. Um, I'll pick out a few names in the top 10, top 15. KDB, if he doesn't get hurt and he doesn't miss as much time as he did, would he be a little bit higher? Um, Vinny Jr., there's a lot of things that are going on his, his sphere right now, not even relevant to how he plays on the field. Um, Victor Osimhen, what a year he had, by the way, for Napoli. Um, the list really can go on and on. It's just, yeah, I, I think a lot of this is always going to be that high school, middle school popularity contest. And you know what, who, who am I to say? Messi is, you know, I mean, we could always dive into this debate. Who's the greatest player in the world right now. He has won everything that you can now win as a player. And MLS is going to claim this as an MLS player, won a Ballon d'Or. So it is what it is uh, for me. It's just, it's, it's another one of these. Will we ever actually get pound for pound, a true player of the year? And also at the same time, we have so many great players out there. Does it really even matter? It's a piece of metal. Very true. We know the, the, the world cup and the champions league titles and the premier league titles are, or will really matter. Uh, like again, it's these individual awards are just individual awards. It's, it's, it's a great point. I mean, NBA here in America is also kind of like that in a way. A lot of time it's a popularity contest. It's a, you know, these kind of guys that are maybe the best player don't always win it. They kind of want to do it off of storyline as well. Um, you know, for, I don't think Jokic is going to win the third trade. Even if he has the best year this year, he's they're probably going to give it to someone else who has more of a upcoming year. So I get it from that perspective for sure, definitely. Yeah. Credit though, Messi, he did make a point in his victory speech to acknowledge the fact that Erling Holland probably should have won it and likely will be winning it at least a few times. So I think this is only just a small stopgap. Someone that's a little farther down on the list, and I think this actually transfers nicely, we are going to switch it up a little bit. We're not going to talk about England first. We're going to talk about El Clasico because 
if you're going on dates, that came first before the Manchester Derby at the uh, Barcelona Olympic Stadium, which, by the way, for those that are unfamiliar and you're expecting to turn on the TV and see the new camp. Well, currently the new camp is being renovated or should I correctly say the Spotify new camp is being renovated right now. So uh, it was Barcelona's temporary home is the Olympic Stadium, which is actually a beautiful piece of modern architecture in and of its own right. I wish if I was a little bit older to have seen uh, the opening ceremonies of the Barcelona Olympics, that stadium is just a a delight, but that's for another day. Barcelona won, Real Madrid two, Ilkay Gundogan, uh, one of his first big moments in a Barcelona jersey, scoring in his first Clásico before Jude Bellingham said, no, no, this is mine and mine alone, scoring in the 68th and the winner in the 90 plus two. First off, Stu, I thought the first goal that he hit, he was trying to Travella because I've never seen a man hit a ball that hard just with the one standing plant leg and swinging through it like that. That ball, if it didn't hit the net, was probably going to be landing in the 30th row because there was so much power behind it. He He's on such form right now that I don't even know if there's I mean, yeah, Holland, I guess, but at least in Spain, is there a true comp to what he's doing right now? Oh, there's no way. I mean, he's just, like you said, just on such a run. He's, you know, he did it during the international break as well for England, so it's translating over between competitions. Uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable. And, look, he's not going to keep up this pace, at least in terms of goal scoring. Um, there are a lot of uh, – yeah, maybe, yeah, you know, no, maybe – Tell maybe that to him. Yeah, I mean, seriously. I mean, he's he's been doing it this whole season so far, and he's – I mean, what a moment for him – uh, in, in his first El Clasico, it just wow, you're just so wow by what he does. And it's funny, like you mentioned the Gundogan goal, he um, that's a, another one who just loves the, the moment, loves the competition. Uh, he's I think I read he was the first, he's the first guy to score in Der Klassiker, the Manchester Derby, and El Clasico. So to do so in all three of those competitions, he, he finds the moment. In Champions League, uh, he does as well. He's just such a player. But yeah, Bellingham's just on top of the world. I actually thought Barcelona, they, they, it's a really missed opportunity for them. They played really well, I thought, for the first maybe two-thirds of the game. At least better than Real Madrid, I, I would say. Um, they did look like the better half, I, I would say. And then it's just the Jude Bellingham show. And then Luka Modric as well, the, the, the dish to Bellingham, the pass to Bellingham. Uh, you know, coming on as a sub, he uh, he made his impact as he always seems to do. So yeah, I think I think I think Barcelona's going to look back and kind of regret not getting the at least a point from this. Uh, the fact they get nothing from it, it's going to be tough. We, we mentioned on the last episode, JJ, uh, between Atletico, Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, it's it's a wide open La Liga this year, and this could be the difference. Obviously the tiebreaker goes to head to head so this could in the end wind up being something that you know pushes uh, Real Madrid over Barcelona for the uh, for the league title well you're talking about the performance from first half to second half and I mean the statistics actually do not lie for the first 55 minutes um, Barcelona were the far superior team on XG on possession and then really kind of the the game changed uh, when 
Madrid made two subs in the 63rd minute where they bring Modric and Jose Lu on for Kroos and Rodrigo. And then that's where the game really opened up. And then you really, uh, there was one snap chance uh, for Big Bob uh, late on, but he put that one over and that was pretty much kind of their last hope. And for those that don't know, I call Robert uh, Lewandowski Big Bob because it's just a lot easier to say. Um, So yeah, I, I think for me, that was a big moment there for Madrid. I know it's still very much, you know, we're in the first third of the season right now. You have Hirona, who's randomly hanging around in the mix. Kudos to them for doing their thing. Um, it won't last. And then, yeah, as you said, it's going to be a three-team race. But that was the first of the two big derbies on the weekend. We fast-forward eh, roughly about 24 hours on the um here in america you couldn't find it on television you have to go to peacock to watch it as manchester mm-hmm. united were blanked at home by manchester city as the robot erling holland with a pair of goals one in the 26th one in the 49th phil foden wrapped it up and you could have probably made that about six or seven nil and it probably would not have made any difference weirdly enough i actually thought andre onana was really good in that match and that might have been the only Good thing for Manchester United is people were talking about Eric Ten Hag's lineup that he put in where he left the likes of a Varane, of Regulon off. He had the starting center half duo of Harry Maguire, Johnny Evans. You can again say injuries. You can say many other things. I will say, did it really matter? Because the answer is no. You could have easily have put your best, healthiest 11 on that field, play them in any formation, and it still probably wouldn't have changed things. So City, cruise control. There were some moments where United caused maybe sort of a, I can't even say a threat, a, a danger, a mild danger at most, but it, it, it's a fair result. And I think city probably at this point, they're a little disappointed that they didn't put up more goals because you look at their goal difference right now. It's at a plus 15 Tottenham who are two points ahead on plus 13. They didn't really pull away from the pack. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, yeah. From the United side, there's so many ways to look at this match. Uh, you mentioned the lineup. Yeah. I was, I was shocked that Veron and Regulon, uh, did not make the starting 11. And then, you know, going in, I'm like, okay, well, Veron, maybe he's still not 100% healthy. I know he played on Tuesday. But again, that's like five days ago. But but after the match, Ten Hag even said it wasn't a, it wasn't a health issue. It was a tactical issue. So I don't know about that. I mean, Lindelof, Evans, Maguire, that's – I mean, it's just not. It's just not going to get it done. I think you're right, JJ. Like, if you put United's eleven healthy eleven against this City squad, if you you know if you know people always love to put out those combined starting elevens. I mean, how many guys are United getting? Maybe one, maybe two. A City's just far superior right now. Even if it's a healthy United, far far superior. Um, look, I know. There's been a lot of talk of should United move on from Ten Hag. I know we had a little little chat in our uh, in our group text. It just feels like that's that's just like that's just such a backwards move if you move on from Ten Hag at this point. It hasn't been pretty. It's been a bad year. It's been a step back from last season. But that's like the sign of the stuff Chelsea's been doing lately, and that's just such a such a bad path to go down. If if you know, there's so many issues with this squad right now. Um, 
it's from the ownership uh, to the you know the squad you know to the squad building all the way down to the players themselves. I don't think Ten Hag is totally blameless, but at the same time, I don't think sacking him is going to do anything. And also, and I also saw like oh, so uh, I know Roy Keane said oh, should Bruno Fernandez shouldn't be the captain? Well, okay, if Bruno Fernandez isn't the captain of this team, who who would, who's going to be the captain? You're going to give it back to McGuire? You're going to give it to Marcus Rashford at this point? Casemiro? I mean, where where are you going with the captaincy? So. I know all these talking points come out after the game. Um, it's just, it's a little too far. It's not like this is some stunning result. It's Manchester City. The, you know, the fact there's only 3-0, is, like you said, JJ, it probably could have been 4-5-0. Not the most shocking thing ever. It's tough when it's a, it's a derby loss. It's tough that they really didn't show any fight after that second goal. But I don't think moving out from Ten Hag is the right move. No, moving from Ten Hag, it's, again, the classic case of, well, what's better out there? And I'm talking about free agents, not so much trying to poach someone from another club. You bring up the point about what Roy Keane said about Bruno Fernandes, and I'm going to go ahead and make a, a opinion here. Frankly, I was never happy with Bruno Fernandes about being the captain. Now, do not take this as he is not a talented footballer, that his – worth level is important enough to be a captain of course he is he's a talented footballer and he can do many amazing things and frankly we don't actually see what goes on behind the scenes we don't see you know what type of uh, a leader he is does he command a locker room does he command what's going on on the training field does he you know inspire the boys uh, to get the best out of him we don't know that could truly happen at the end of the day but what i will say this Attitude reflects leadership, and I don't want to see a leader moping around on the field, arguing, complaining for the course of 90 minutes. Yes, they're all professionals at the end of the day, and they have a job to do, but if I, not a high-paid athlete of any capacity, but let's just say for some miracle I was, um, if I was in a team and I see my captain making these sort of mannerisms what message is that sent to me what, what am i doing there then to be like okay so should i be the one that goes inspires the rest of the boys to try and get the best out of them no i'm gonna probably follow the body language of my captain because it, it's what we as a club chose it's for this person to lead so this is not so much the attack on bruno fernandez the player this is so this is more looking at okay when your team is in a, a lull or in a an area where you're just not getting the most or you, you have a you still have a chance let's face it one nil two nil still at a period of time where you can at least try and fight your way back who's there to grab everybody by the scruff of the neck and say let's go again let's get something from this or at least leave the people who are going to exit the stadium in a little while who spent their hard-earned money to come watch us play a reason to believe that yeah okay the day might not have been our day but at least don't lose faith in us and i don't really see that too often um i this kind of came in the lines of a few different things that were a little bit questionable for me in terms of the roster construction in terms of how players were let go this the david de gea situation being one harry Maguire basically getting 
know, a reported just a couple of minute conversation why after he faithfully served the club for three years as captain or at least was in that leadership area that he gets the captain's armband taken away. And granted, that happens almost regularly where you do have a captain that comes in and just you need a little breath of fresh air, just something to change up. That That's perfectly fine. But name me a time. Yes, and people take the absolute – they just take every go at him. Name me a time that he didn't actually give his best for the club, that he didn't go out there and at least try hard. I mean, that's it's kind of a funny thing that we forget about in sports that we think everyone's supposed to be robotic and perfect except for her Erling Holland, of course, who is a, a freaking robot because that's all he does is score goals. Um, but like at least McGuire tried and like he tried to motivate his team. I look at a guy like Scott McTominay. Yes. Again, maybe not the most flashy footballer out there. He is a workhorse though. And he is someone that I could see if you give him an armband for a half, he's going to drag that unit through the mud. If it's not going right for them and, get something from that match so that's my personal pick again it's not going to be everybody's out there i don't think anything's really going to change but i think there's a lot of things that can be changed and need to be changed that could be something that could be changed does it change the outcome of the results right away maybe not the team is at an absolute horror show place at the moment but it could be something yeah no i agree with that uh well said and yeah, it's it's funny. I, other things I look at in this match, um, we talk about the squad selection. Even pulling Amrabat, I felt like, was interesting because he, at least they somewhat commanded. I mean, like, when you took him out, they lost all command of the midfield, I felt. I feel like. It just didn't work. And I know it's tough. No Casemiro. You take him out, though. I, I, I wasn't too much of a fan of that, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. It will be interesting next couple of weeks for United, as, as we know. It, it, it always is, and oh boy, it's even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, we'll briefly at the end of the show highlight what is to come because it's not a European week. It is a domestic cup week, and they've got a doozy of a match coming up on Wednesday. Um, I will rattle through the fixtures from this past weekend, Stu, you and I can touch on a few of them briefly. If you, you and I kind of chatted br- uh, before that we went on saying that this will be a little bit more of a condensed show on this one because it was just kind of the three main talking points. Um, but yeah, in the Premier League on Friday, this past Friday, the 27th, it was Crystal Palace 1, Tottenham 2. Ange Ball continues in full effect where they got the beneficiary of an own goal. Then Sonny did his thing, scored in the 66. One of the IU brothers scored in the fourth minute of stoppage time to give Palace at least one back, but not enough on the day. On to Saturday, Chelsea nil, Brentford two as the Bees. I love this stat, by the way. Brentford have won more matches at Stamford Bridge in the last, was it, seven months than Chelsea have. And that is two. As Ethan Pinnock with a towering header and Brian Mbomo, who I love the fact that the keeper came up for a corner. Brentford cleared it away and Bomo off to the races could have put it away from 45 yards out. No, no, no. Let's Robert Sanchez catch him to then drop him to the floor and then put it home, which was for me, absolute banter. Uh, Bournemouth two, Burnley one. I had to leave right after 
Charlie Taylor scored for Burnley. And I thought after 15 minutes, okay, job done. Uh, the Clarets would get something from it. No, Semenyo in the 22nd. And who knew that Philip Billing could dink a keeper from 40 yards out, but he gets the winner 15 minutes from time as the Cherries get a huge three points, huge five goals scored by Arsenal as they demolish Sheffield United 5-0. Paul Heckingbottom could be the winner of, uh, well, not the winner, but the most recent manager to be sacked as Eddie Nketiah with a hat trick, Vieira and Tomiyasu also adding in goals. Wolves 2, Newcastle 2, Lamina and Huang scored. Uh, he is on an absolute tear at the moment, by the way. Uh, Huang Chen as Callum Wilson with a couple of goals to get something for the Magpies. Sunday's results, West Ham nil, Everton 1, DCL scoring, doing what he does best of recent big three points for Everton again with that big uh, points deduction looming on the horizon Aston Villa three Luton one McGinn Diaby and a couple of own goals in that contest Brighton one Fulham one it could have been actually a lot worse for Fulham if it wasn't for the American stallion that is Anthony Robinson the Jedi flashing out the, the Jedi tricks and heading one off the line right at the end of the match to share the points and now I'll leave you with this, Stu. Liverpool 3, Nottingham Forest nil. Uh, Jota, Nunez, and Salah with goals. Take us through that one. Yeah, uh, it was a nice result for Liverpool in that one. Um, yeah, they, they especially with a bit of a, I wouldn't say tragedy, but it's just such a scary situation. We don't know what it's going to be with, with the father and mother of Luis Diaz, um, you know, kidnapped, the mother found, at least as of recording, still nothing on the father being found yet. So hopefully good wishes there that that's resolved quickly. Um, but they did, they did a good job. They've had, they're in a bit of an easy stretch of games um, and they've played pretty well. I, I really like what I've been seeing from Sobo Sly. He's, if Madison's the best purchase this summer, I think Sobo Sly is the second best. And there's some other good ones too. Obviously Declan Rice is very good. Uh, Tottenham's had a few themselves. There's multiple good uh off-season uh, spending sprees. But, yeah, I, I just love his oversight brought to that midfield. He's pretty much single-handedly changed that midfield from just uh, old, ratcheted, worn-down midfield to one that has some life, has some pace, uh, can even score some goals. So I have like what I've seen from him. Van Dyke looked really good. Again, you have to kind of say, okay, you're playing four, so it's tough to judge some of these things. But Van Dyke looked, looked very good. Salah's doing good, scoring goals, getting assists. Uh, Darwin Nunez. Whenever you see him score, uh, that's a positive. So I, I like what the, I've seen from them. They they've been pretty good. Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, Brentford. That was, ugh. I mean, that was Chelsea. Fun. That, that was yeah. fun. I'm sorry. I, I agree. No, no. Listen, I, I was all for it. I was all for that result. I, I enjoyed every pretty much every minute of that. Um, Chelsea is just in such a bad place right now. I know we talk about United, but Chelsea is an unmitigated disaster. And, and I mean, look, when we look at these games every week, we, we, we see who city plays. We, we look at who Arsenal play, plays Liverpool. We, we kind of usually, you know, look to those matches. We, we, I mean, it's this point with Chelsea, you got to just stop. It's they're a mid table club. And until that changes they're they're a mid table club and they're not going to be competing for European spots. They're not going to be obviously competing for champions league or titles or anything like that anytime soon. But it's just so far gone. I, I just don't even I don't even know what to make of it anymore. It's just that second half, it just felt like they, there was just no life, no fight. You see this Brentford side and Thomas Frank side, like they, look, they're not a squad that has all these players that are 
you know, huge purchases, but they play with heart and they play for Thomas Frank. And that's something you can really appreciate. Chelsea, on the other hand, it's just 10 guys running around there that you don't really know what they're doing. They don't really have a purpose. It's just kind of a complete mess. Their three wins this year are against Luton, Burnley, and Fulham. The rest, I mean, they just, they're just not very good. And again, I don't know if it's a Pochettino issue. I, I kind of lean the same way as I do with Ten Hag. I don't think it's on the manager. I think it's more of the players they bought in. But boy, with a with a stretch coming up that, you know, starts at Spurs this weekend, then home against City, then at Newcastle, home against Brighton, at, at United, those five matches, they could easily lose all five. Maybe they win one and draw one and lose three. I can't see much better than that, to be honest. So you will see after that where they stand. And if that's the case, they're going to be 12th, 13th in the table. Is Pochettino going to survive that is the question for me. And I I don't know. That's tough. Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be very Chelsea-esque to look for a new manager every six to nine months. Um, one more that I want to hit on before we wrap up this segment, Stu. Interesting comments coming out of the Aston Villa camp after their what you kind of expect a run-of-the-mill 3-1 victory over Luton. Unai Emery is looking beyond just top four. Unai Emery believes that his team could very well be in the fight for a title contender. Um which is, I think, a very fascinating one, by the way. But I do look at this. They got a, a bit of a wake-up call, obviously, when your Liverpool boys served them uh, with a 3-0 defeat at Anfield at the beginning of September. Since then, five wins, one draw in league play. Um, you throw out some of the the uh, cup results that they've had is they lost to Everton and the AFL Cup heavily changed side. They dropped to Legia Warsaw, but in the conference league, but I don't really think that's going to matter all that much, but you're seeing some of the teams that they're dispatching. They're doing like doing it confidently. And I'm almost now taking them out of that Jekyll and Hyde category that I had West Ham in lumped with them a little bit and Brighton as well, because they're putting on performances right now to lead me to think that you have the likes of Ollie Watkins, John McGinn, who's playing out of his skin at the moment. Douglas Louise is just another Rolls Royce of a player. Could this be a team that legitimately come the end of March fight for a champions league spot? And remember also that's top five potentially this year, but we'll keep it for the old, old money for top four I say yes right now because I'm looking at the teams that are around them at the moment. Tottenham, Arsenal, Man City, no real qualms about that three finishing top three. I think Tottenham will survive even if there's going to be a little bit of rough patch. Your Liverpool boys are very much right there, and I'm not going to discount them for anything that they're doing. But something tells me that at some point in the season, there might be a little bit of a change maybe a bit of naivety from someone, maybe for the fact that Liverpool and Villa might just recognize, hey, by the way, we have a chance for domestic form. Do we need a secondary European Cup? I don't know, because you're going to get to a point where you're going to have match loads coming in the 50s. Maybe, but early form says that this is a team that I think could go as high as third. Dare I, dare I say? Yeah, that's wow. That's a shout. That's 
that's pretty bold, but man, they're playing, they're playing really well. I, I don't disagree. They, you, you kind of see it like they, they play for Emery. They have a lot of talented guys that could score goals. They play with, I, I would say more of like a, they, they're South inching, right? They play more of like a narrow, you know, using the midfield, you know, not really out wide. It's just, it's just a interesting way of playing. I like it. I mean, I mean, they play a, a pretty much a flat four four two. Like yeah. it's very, despite the fact that it's Unai Emery managing, they play a very English style of of soccer. Yeah, and I I mean I could see it. I so it's weird. Like I keep wanting to think Tottenham's going to be the one that drops a little when they get an injury, which is a you know dynamic, of course any of these teams can have a big injury. You know, take take uh, Allison or Salah out of Liverpool, and that changes everything, right? Um, same with like Arsenal, all, all these teams. I, I still think it's Tottenham, but then again, Tottenham's been so good, and Tottenham also doesn't have the European competition or the Carabao Cup that's really in their way. So they're like you just said, the match load that's not going to be a problem for Tottenham. So maybe that helps them. It's it's going to be tough to be top four, but wow, I, I mean, if they're not top four, I think they're fifth. I think they're right there, and if yeah. they're not fourth, they're you know two or three or four points off a Liverpool or a Tottenham or an Arsenal, something like that. I mean, the real run is going to come right after the return of the international break, right after our American Thanksgiving, because they finish out this little portion away to Forest on the weekend, uh, host Azed Alkmar on Thursday next week, which, by the way, could sneakily be not the best, but one of the best European matches of that little three-day window, then host Fulham. Then when they come back, away to Tottenham, they do have Bournemouth, but then host City on a Wednesday, then host Arsenal on the Saturday the 9th, then after a tricky test of Brentford, you know that looming are a few couple of tough matches in there as well over the the, uh, the festive pick um, period. So. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Hey, I'm happy to. Th- I already got one 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 wrong with Burnley, so you know what? I'm zero for one. Now I'm gonna go for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um. All right. So midweeks do not too too much to highlight. We do have a couple of battles in the lower tiers of English football. Should get a give a quick shout out by the way. Um, <clears throat> League two, we had the. Uh, the return match of Wrexham at Knotts County. It was actually a classic, by the way, because those two teams did not hold back on their jabs, but it was Wrexham in the final 20 minutes with Elliot Lee and Ollie Palmer scoring twice in the span of three minutes to give Wrexham all three points. And Wrexham currently running third, which, by the way, sorry if it's going to spoil anybody for welcome to Wrexham season two, but um, the top three spots right now, automatic promotion, are all the teams that were highly featured during that show. Stockport County 1, Knotts 2, Wrexham 3. Fascinating. But the um, we have EFL Cup, uh, League Cup action during the midweek. Run down the fixtures quick on Tuesday. And also remember in America, this will start one hour later than usual at 345 because pretty much most of the rest of the world has already turned their clocks back. So, you know, we, we like to do things in our own time. Uh, Exeter City hosting Middlesbrough. And Mansfield hosting Port Vale. Then on Wednesday, you've got West Ham 
<clears throat> excuse me, West Ham taking on Arsenal, Bournemouth hosting Liverpool, Chelsea against Blackburn, Everton hosting Burnley, Manchester United taking on Newcastle, which would be a reprise of the final of this competition from a year ago. In my personal favorite match at Portman Road, Ipswich Town versus Fulham. Come on the tractor, boys. Yeah, I'm very – that was actually one of the two I was going to pull out, Ipswich and Fulham. We saw Ipswich against Wolves. They they looked very, very good in the last round of this competition. And, you know, Fulham's a bit of a step up, a little bit of a step up, I would say. Um, yeah, you get that match. You get that match at home. That could be very, very fascinating to see what uh, Kyle Franco's squad does against Ipswich, who are just, along with Leicester City, just doing such a nice job in the championship right now, uh, just dominating, I would say, uh, the championship at this point. Uh, yep, the other match, I would, yeah, it's been, yeah that that front three, by the way, of Nathan Broadhead, Connor Chaplin, and George Hurst is lethal. Fourteen goals between the three in all competitions. Yeah, that Chaplin kid looks really, really good. good. Um, and also West Ham Arsenal, I think that could be interesting. We'll see how seriously Arsenal takes the competition. I know they have a lot of games there. You know, next week's back to Champions League, so you have to imagine they're going to want to you know, keep rotating some guys in. So we'll see what kind of a squad they uh, they come out with on Wednesday. But Arsenal-West Ham, I think, is one that I'm going to be uh, pretty intrigued by to see see what happens, especially for West Ham, who have had their, you know, slight bit of struggles of late. So to see if they can get a turnaround in this competition, uh, very curious to see that. It'll be a whole lot of fun. And, um, <clears throat> wow, excuse me. Um, thanks to the weather, by the way, because the weather is just absolutely – killing me we had 80 degrees here in the northeast yep. a couple days ago and it's going to be 30 come on wednesday so fantastic yeah. love love the season so that's going to do it for us Stu and i will be on quick sabbatical so you'll be hearing from the other guys in our next episode but as we always say uh thanks for tuning in give us a like share us tell your friends about us follow us follow us on our social media platforms on twitter slash x at uh, box to box ft ball and on instagram box to box football pod Stu, great stuff we'll talk to you next time